Boat Talk is made possible in part by Atlantic Challenge, home of the Apprentice Shop and the Community Sailing Program, offering youth and adult boat building classes year-round, plus internships, apprenticeships, and marine mentoring for middle school students. Atlantic Challenge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to craftsmanship, community, and the traditions of the sea. 594-1800 or AtlanticChallenge.com. And by the Redfern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. RedfernBoat.com. The time is 10 o'clock and it is time for Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce. Good morning. It's 10 o'clock, Tuesday morning, second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Community Radio's own naval call-in show, sort of a quasi-pirate radio with never-aboard moment. Here with your hosts, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And we have two guests in the, in the studio today, too, from the... Uh, Penobscot Bay Power Squadron, Penobscot Bay Sail and Power Squadron. But to say hello to uh, Kathy Kathy Mastbeth and Bob Crone from the. Welcome to Boat Talk, folks. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, just what is involved with the Power Squadron and uh, how, if you're interested in getting into uh, a little bit more serious boating, we have uh, some. uh, Great courses coming up in the spring we'll be talking about. But first, Mike and I are going to talk about a few little things that have come across the, our desk between last show and this. We also um, told Kathy and Bob that the way Boat Talk works, as long as they're here, they're uh, just as much uh, hosts as we are as far as we're concerned. Speak up at any time. It's not like a little interview. Uh, we never know what's going to happen on Boat Talk. And... You know, uh, all gets thrown into the hopper. The number here this morning, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. It's call-in show. We generally interrupt anything we are working on to talk to you. That's that's how we are, you know. And, uh, again, serendipity of uh, people calling in is often the uh, the best thing that happens on Boat Talk. Lots of stuff to uh, talk about. And uh, most of it is sort of upcoming events in, in, uh, from my end anyway. For instance, the crew of the mission ship Sunbeam is set to retire. Dave Allen and his wife have been piloting Sunbeam for about 35 years. Sunbeam's been quite a fixture on up and down the coast right around yes. centered on Bar Harbor. Got a big white cross on the side of it. It's a, a mission boat and uh, does a lot of different services for the island communities. And Dave among other things, has a 35-year record of never getting in trouble. That's amazing. Yeah, and it says right here, um, David. Uh, uh, David's a little hesitant to say much because he's modest and a bit superstitious about boats and stuff. So anyway, uh, they're retiring next month. We'll be talking to, uh, hopefully, the Sunbeam people at some point, Dave and Betty. Uh, that'll be upcoming. Hopefully next month. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, another thing that's going on, uh, which is, is uh, very interesting and uh, right in the neighborhood here, is the Penobscot Marine Museum has a new director, a fellow named Niles Parker. And uh, Niles is coming to the Penobscot Marine Museum with a lot of energy and some new ideas. And uh, one thing that I think is really cool here, 
um, you've got one way to look at a, a museum as a dusty collection of old objects, you know. just kind of sits there. You drive past it on Route 1. I've never been to the Penobscot Marine Museum. Hmm. Have you? Uh, no. Kathy? Not yet. Rob? I have. We're actually corporate sponsors. Uh, Excellent. We have a corporate membership there. It's an amazing place. By all accounts, uh, an amazing place, an amazing collection. What uh, Niles is proposing to do is free up the collection um, and integrate it with an educational program and get it going around the state and get kids involved, which I think is just a tremendous thing. And, um, you know, again, uh, a lot of people, the same same, uh, thing as me. I've driven by it a million times. I've never been in. I've been to the one in Bath. But that was, uh, that was sort of a chance. And, and uh, what a treasure to have that in our neighborhood. And, again, have you ever stopped by? And if you haven't, why? And new things may be happening at the Penobscot Marine Museum right downtown Searsport on Route 1. So uh, perhaps we'll be talking to Niles in a little bit. There's another one. Okay, I have one. Um, this re- involves the Boat Talk website and the Boat Talk calendar. Um, we have decided that... Feedback from the calendar says people that the the, uh, the photographs are interesting, but there's no description of what what the photographs are about. So every month we're going to be posting a description of uh, the upcoming month's picture, and we'll also talk about it on Boat Talk too, if we remember. But we haven't been able to post anything yet. We're I still did. working on I that. I po- posted it last night. Oh, you I did it out, and it's actually there. You met you. Oh, good. But yeah. I wasn't able to get my computer I, to turn on. So we're we're getting there. We're getting we're there. Getting yeah, there. It, it's it, a work in progress. I now have a computer on my kitchen table because I have a website. Never. Yeah. So anyway, I'm trying to bond with the thing. It's given me some. Uh, it's it's tried my patience, but I haven't hit it with any kinds of hammers yet. So. It's a good thing this isn't computer talk. We'd be in trouble. Yeah, although that would be another interesting show. And speaking of that, um, a guest we had on a couple of months ago, um, help me. Peter Neal. Peter Neal, thank you, World Ocean Observatory. Uh, Peter used to be a director of the South Street Marine Museum uh, uh, down in New York City, now a resident of Sedgwick, and the World Ocean Observatory which has a website, worldoceanobservatory.com, I believe. Yep, it's going to have a link from Boat Talk also. Yeah. Um, Peter was talking with the management here at WERU the other day, I understand, and and Peter is talking about uh, perhaps some kind of broadcast outlet to uh, spreading the word about the World Ocean Observatory and, and, uh, you know, national radio, uh, a quarterly radio show on WERU have all been proposed and, he uh, said to Matt that he didn't want to step on our feet, which would be awful hard to do. So uh, we welcome that. And, you know, another, uh, like I say, interesting um, fellow out there, World Ocean Observatory, is all about the human ecology of the ocean. I would say that's a, a, a mm-hmm. very concise description yeah. of their mission. Lots of information on that website. Yeah. So back to uh, the Boat Talk website that I was talking about. You can go to boattalk.org. And there is also posted there last night a little photograph. It's a camera phone photograph um, of a fishing boat that was in Swans Island Harbor oh, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> and talking about becoming a little bit too familiar with your surroundings sometimes. You know, after you've been out on the water for a lot of times, sometimes you get a little bit maybe too relaxed in your uh, attentions to uh, realizing that you are in the water and some funny things can happen. This fellow, a fisherman, was coming back into Swan, uh, Burnt Coat Harbor and uh, didn't realize it, but uh, another person had bought a uh, used float 
and towed it over to Burnt uh, Co. Harbor and moored it in, uh, in soggy, waterlogged, yeah, low-riding float. It was a low-floating float. That's true. And this fisherman really wasn't paying that much attention and drove right up onto it. So there's a photograph of this high-and-dry fish boat in the middle of the water. bunch of lobster traps piled in the back. Yeah, uh, the all, it's on its side on the float, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a surprise. I'm sure that made a large uh, noise and, and uh, fairly much surprised that fellow when he did that. But, you know, again, you, you just never know what's going to happen out there on the water. Speaking of local fishermen, there was an item on the Channel 2 News last night and this morning of a uh, urchin boat vandalized down in Bucks Harbor. And uh, the boat was broken into, the fire extinguishers were discharged, uh, gear was vandalized, and the navigation computer and uh, some other electronics were stolen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a boat theft is an interesting thing. I mean, most boats are easily boardable. You know, oh, yeah. A lot Absolutely. of boats aren't, aren't locked at all. Um, some of the boats I've been captain on, you you know, if you can throw the battery switch, you can... One guy says, I don't want a key to this. I'll just lose it and won't be able to go sometimes. So he, had, he, he wired past the key. Anybody can start that thing. Um, a boat thief takes a certain kind of person, wouldn't you say? Um, okay. You know, you have to know what you're after. Um, you also have to have familiarity with the harbor. You can't sneak out to a boat. Um, even at 3 o'clock in the morning, you would think that, uh, you know, it's kind of a public place. So anyway, this uh, boat was vandalized down in Bucks Harbor. That may be possibly a fishing incident of people who are, um, you know, at odds with each other, although the fellow interviewed on the TV says, I'm not having a bad time with anybody. He says, I'm, you know, I don't know anybody's mad at me. It might have just been my unlucky day, and maybe that is so. But uh, one of the reasons I brought this up is the urchin fishery. Now, one of my ex-best buddies used to be uh, one of the king of the urchin divers here. And, uh, in the heyday, I, I was right on top of the urchin fishery. Don't know too much about it lately, except for it's not doing very well. And at one point, it was a gold mine fishery around here, a gold rush. Everybody get into it. If you could uh, go underwater scuba diving, and uh, you could make $1,000 a day pretty much without being any good at it. And, of course, uh, you know, the urchin resource has depleted it got overfished it got over harvested and uh, the urchin season is down now to four months uh, three days a, uh, a week you're allowed to go out um, and there's hardly anybody in the fishery and of course the market drives the fishery uh, it's not any good to pick up something uh, it's no good to catch a fish if you can't sell it mm -hmm. catching the fish is not the point selling the fish is the point um, when it was the gold rush days there were people Japanese people waiting on the dock um, one of these Japanese guys gave my fella a, uh, what do you call it, one of them uh, cordless phones there, a cell phone. He didn't want a cell phone because he figured if he had one, his wife would call him. But the Japanese guy <laughs> wanted to call him when he was coming in, okay? And uh, he, took the, he took the cell phone from the fella and never told his wife the number. And, and like I said, uh, you know, those people <laughs> eagerly waiting on the pier when they're coming in. It's not quite like that anymore. So uh, that fishery has is, is, uh, kind of come and gone. The eel fishery, another one that was kind of a gold rush. Mm -hmm. And in that case, you didn't even need a boat or to jump in the water. You needed a pair of hip boots and some nets. Yeah. A lot of people get into that real fast. Uh, there was contention in the eel fishery on uh, territory. You know, it's all very territorial. Let's think about what a fisherman does. And, again, we have some interesting, um, interesting calls into boat talk. Every once in a while, uh, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Anytime is a good time for a call. 
For instance, um, a while back we had a fella calling about bait being dumped on a beach where he uh, where he likes to walk. A very very foul ex bait, you know. Um, fella called last month. Fella named Kurt called about uh, he'd bought a mooring from a fisherman and he kept his boat on it. I believe he uh, didn't have the boat after the first season. The mooring disappeared. Fisherman says it's gone. Now where is it? What do you do about that, fisherman? All right, I'm not making any blanket statements, but um, let's think about what they do. They're they're hunter gatherers and they they gather in a what's essentially a public garden. And territory comes into that, and also the the resource right now the the uh, lobster resource is good in Maine, but it's really fallen and flagging in other places to the southern here down in uh, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Um, they are having a terrible time down there with black shell disease. Uh, a lot of lobstermen have just gone out of business. Um, it's not really happening down there. Still strong here. What could go wrong? The DMR biologists, they want more information from the fishermen. The fishermen don't like to share information. Um, they even had a meeting in Ellsworth last month where the fisherman says, you can give us these logbooks, we're probably going to lie to you. i got to tell you our secrets. And so it's all an interesting ball of wax, isn't it? Any kinds of uh, interesting uh, subjects you may have that way or another, once again, the number this morning. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. One other small item I want to throw in is I received an email from Wheelsey. Those of you who don't know who Wheelsey is, he's a fellow who used to live in Kentucky in the Mississippi River who is converting a school bus to be amphibious with his intention of sailing Talk a, about a power around the world. You need to be, huh? <laughs> he's actually launched it and knows that it does float. But uh, he, the email says that he's moved to Florida and Wheelsey is now in storage. He said he would like to finish the job, not looking for money, only completion. I don't know how you can separate that. But uh, if you're interested in finding more about Wheel C, you can go to a website that has some information on that, and that is amphageostory.com. Amphageostory.com. From when he uh, converted an, a, a geo car into an amphibio car, Amphageo. Say. He does have a, a track record of, of making amphibious vehicles. It's not like just total shot in the dark for this Once kind. again, I've mentioned this several times. One of my favorite boat talk um, moments, uh, Giffy Fole, the famous marine surveyor, is a guest host uh, whenever he's around, especially in the summertime. Now, uh, Giffy coming in, and I handed him this stuff from Wheelsea from the uh, inter- an inter- internet printout. I said, Giffy, you ought to look at this. We're going to talk to this fellow this morning. Could be interesting. Wants to fix up a school bus, sail around the world. Giffy says, not going to like to talk to me, he says. <laughs> so we spoke to him, and, and uh, the fellow, what's his name again? Um, Rorig, Mark Rorig. Mark, Mark Rorig. Uh, Mark can talk a blue streak about welding things and turning the differential around upside down, backwards and sideways, and making an adapter to hey, yeah. He can do that stuff and, and make it work. So uh, at the end of the thing, he had won Giffy and the audience over, possibly Alan uh, and me, it's hard to say. Well. And uh, Giffy wished him, wished him uh, good luck, and we'll see, Giffy says. Ha, ha, ha. Well, we have a phone call, so let's go right God to bless that. Him. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, it's uh, Fred in St. George. Hi, Fred. Um, I just tuned in, so I don't know whether you've talked about uh, uh, raw face yet. Uh, I just uh, walked out on the breakwater a little bit a couple of days ago, noticed the boat, and uh, uh, wished him well. And um, so, uh, any uh, any news there? How did the mast look on it? Uh, not much. Mm. Did you speak to George? 
No, I haven't. Uh, no, I haven't uh, gone out there. Just kind of wave to him across the water. Yep. 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 Wave, wish him well. Um, raw faith uh, for people who are not familiar with it. Uh, perennial boat talk subject. A uh, excuse me, a uh, family, uh, a fairly religious family from down in Winthrop, Maine, uh, experienced a call to God, or at least George McKay did, driving back and forth from his job in Boston, decided they uh, needed to build an ark, so to speak, a raw faith. You have to think galleon, Nina Pinta Santa Maria, kind of a Mayflower kind of old vessel. It's a 90-something foot race galleon, uh, as he calls it. Uh, self-built down in Addison, Maine. They launched it. Took them four years to do. It was uh, the mission is to take handicapped people and their families sailing. Their daughter Elizabeth has Marfan syndrome, been in a wheelchair all her life. Now um, the mission has experienced great difficulty. They have tried to go south twice, been dismasted both times going across the Gulf of Maine, um, towed back twice by the Coast Guard. Now in Rockland, their uh, second winter of port arrest. And uh, they got no money. They've, uh, you know, been having a fairly hard time of it. They have also become a object of some contention in the harbor there. Uh, not everybody's on Raw Faith's side. The um, some of the local uh, schooner people in Raw Faith have clashed, so to speak. I guess that's a that's a nice way to say it. So anyway, Raw Faith in a holding pattern. The uh, nothing happening on the website. Uh, George is not going to live on the boat this winter. And I asked him how he come to that decision. Uh, you know, two winters of living on the boat, hauling water and wood out there. Uh, he decided that's just enough of that. So the boat's uh, on the hook and rocking through the winter. Keep your eye on it. Um, you know, let's make sure it's there every morning, George, or somebody will be looking out for it. And they are in a holding pattern. They need stuff. They need money. And I would think they need a little revitalization of their mission. Fair enough to say, Alan? Yeah, it's yeah. basically uh, no new news. <laughs> Yeah, I am a bit more sympathetic to the raw faith thing than Alan. Alan is a famous skeptic on the um, on yeah. the project, and I remain so. Yeah, um, what we've come down to on Boat Talk is saying, how can you fault somebody for a dream? And uh, you know, everybody, uh, especially out on the water, pretty much gets to do their thing. And George has a dream, and again, he's run foul of some of the local boat and community there. But um, you know, maybe that can be adjusted and and who knows how it'll all turn out in the in the end he right now has some spruce trees rigged up for mass that are not going to be sufficient he knows that it makes it a barkentine <laughs> he is the punny one any fred <laughs> oh good lord <laughs> yeah <laughs> good way to good good addition to the day yeah spruces, yeah. spruces it right up doesn't it <laughs> well thanks very much Love your program. All right, appreciate it, Fred. Fred. Fred's becoming a usual suspect. Calls from Tenants Harbor uh, on a fairly regular basis, and we appreciate that from Fred or anybody. Once again, the number here this morning one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We've got a couple other subjects here, but uh, until the phone rings, uh, Kathy and Rob in the Power I Squadron. I think we uh, yes. Let's let's slip over. Yeah, let's get and these talk people going. Power Squadron, the oldest uh, boating organization in the country or world. Well, it's Country. one of the oldest. I'm not sure that it's actually the oldest. It's the it's, largest. Um, it's certainly the largest. Non-profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a not-for-profit organization. Uh, it was formed in uh, 1914 by Roger Upton and subsequently joined by Chapman's, uh, um, Charles Chapman of Chapman's fame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, been a long, around an awful long time. Our local squadron, uh, which is the Penobscot Bay Sail and Power Squadron, was formed uh, 40 years ago this summer. 
And we were um, originally the squadron was formed by the Boston Yacht Club or a spinoff of the Boston Yacht Club to um, to do patrols with power boats and, and uh, subsequently over the years has been adapted. Um, about half of us in the squadron, myself included, are sailors and uh, have um, the squadron has done a nice job in adapting the program and their, their public education programs to sailing as well as power power boats. Uh, so a few years ago, our squadron actually became Penobscot Bay Sail and Power Squadron. Okay. What's the mission of the squadron? The uh, squadron really has three areas of activity, um, self and public education, uh, which is the courses that we offer in training uh, about boating skills, and uh, that is all uh, volunteer taught uh, within the organization, uh, members teaching members. Uh, the other, another leg of the uh, area of activity is public service or civil service. We do a number of things, including teaching the public boating class, uh, which we'll be teaching. Kathy will be talking a little bit more about this, but we teach um, a, a class that's designed. It's a, a very similar class to the one that the Coast Guard Auxiliary teaches that's designed for introductory boating. It teaches both seamanship and basic navigation and piloting. And then uh, we also do... Uh, we're we're in partnership with the Coast Guard Auxiliary to do vessel safety checks, which is the U.S. Coast Guard's program that um, formerly was called Courtesy Marine Inspection. It's a uh, free and, and confidential um, courtesy boat examination that we do either by request or uh, in some in some cases we uh, we're holding clinics. Uh, we're our squadron is new to this in the in the past year. Uh, we did essentially a hundred of them this summer, which was a pretty mm-hmm. good start. And that's the um, the area of public service. Um, the third area is uh, is that we're really a boat club. Um, interestingly enough, before I got involved in it, I was under the impression that the squadron was I don't know whether it was the police or the the government or something, the militia, you know, or something. And uh, I've uh, after taking the boating course uh, at Bucksport High with Jay Johnson. Uh, I guess it was four years ago now. Uh, we uh, really came to enjoy the, uh, you know, the fraternal and uh, you know club part of it. That we uh, we are very active with uh, rendezvous and and dinners, and we have great speakers come in and and do a lot of club type of activities. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the boat talk club in a way, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Except for more organized. Let's talk about sailboats for a minute. Uh, sailboats, almost all of them have engines. They have all the same problems as power boats and plus. Doesn't so why mean, wouldn't sailboats be in the power squad? doesn't mean you have to use the engine just because you have it. Well, and then you've got a lot of sailors who, uh, for instance, I used to, uh, for years, I took a uh, fisherman on deliveries with me, and he wasn't happy unless the engine was running. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, it's definitely a good safety feature. Uh, I very seldom use my engine and uh, have only... Uh, I think twice really needed it, and, and uh, one time didn't have it. And uh, it was, uh, you know, trying to trying to get onto a dock in a twenty five knot wind was uh, was interesting. I have a thirty foot boat, and uh, you know, it makes for interesting sailing. That day. And sailing aside, uh, most of the engine work, um, you know, that's uh, crunchy anyway. So to. S- that's almost a pun, Alan. Is around the dock, you know, and, and sailboats and powerboats, all the same problems. So. Uh, the uh, um, inspection service, that is very labor-intensive, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We have actually nine um, 
nine people that are certified in our squadron. We have a, uh, roughly 140 members in, in our local squadron, and uh, nine of them are actually certified to do the vessel safety inspection. I think Kathy led the pack by far this year. We we do everything from uh, P, uh, from uh, PWCs and and kayaks and canoes all the way up to I think Rob did a sixty five foot boat last summer. Uh, sixty five is about the limit of what we did. Uh, we did a fifty four uh, up in um, Northeast Harbor, which was the biggest boat that I've done. How do they contact you? Uh, a variety of ways. Our, our website uh, is is very active um, and, and has good resources there. If you uh, go to any site like the Coast Guard site or, uh, you know, do a search for it, we can uh, and type in uh, vessel safety check, a, um, a locator service will come up and you type in your zip code and it will locate the nearest vessel safety inspector. Uh, mine seems to come up quite a bit for this area, for Bucksport and uh, – in the Penobscot area, and, and uh, Arlen Martins comes up in, in Bangor a lot. So. Now, let's uh, think about an inspection here. I do some boat surveying, and, uh, you know, you jump on somebody's boat, and I'm concerned about how the horn timber is, if the quadrant's uh, going to work, if the rudder bearing is good. Uh, that's not You basically are looking for safety, safety items. Safety equipment. You have basically. a checklist, mm-hmm. and uh, you're just looking to see it, but uh, is all this stuff easy to find? I mean, you know... Uh, well, You're in and out. You got to be uh, going to the bottom of sail lockers, looking for all kinds of strange stuff. I would imagine um, could be an interesting a, job. I'm when saying. you do a documented boat, you have to look for the the brand on on the the hull someplace. There's a, a number that you have to look for. Um, you have to look in the engine compartment for those boats that have flame arresters, and make sure that the flame arrestor is there. Do you check the dates on those too? Make sure there's still. Or- not on the flame arresters, but we do check the dates on the uh, fire extinguishers yeah, and, and the, the flares. Flares, mm-hmm. yes. And the flares. I'm sure. I'm sure you've seen a lot of really old ones, and people say, "Well, yes. I got them over here." And well, they say still keep the flares because they're usable, but make sure you have up to date flares on, right. on board. Mm-hmm. People sometimes get in trouble for shooting off out-of-date flares. Uh, it's happened to people I know in, in the uh, past. They're sort of like uh, perhaps medicines in your cabinet. The expiration <laughs> yeah. date is for your own safety. Mm-hmm. Probably still going to work if mm-hmm. they've been stored well, mm-hmm. which is probably the key to it. Uh, lack of moisture, for instance. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and you, you know, you've, you've raised an interesting point there that uh, you know, shooting off signal flares in the it, while you're at sea is not a, not a particularly good idea. A few years ago when I was sailing with Maine Maritime, we were steaming up, I think, from Nassau towards, uh, I, I, my recollection is Quebec, and we uh, got an emergency, a Mayday call uh, relayed from the Coast Guard, and we sailed probably three hours out of our way to go rescue, you know, provide assistance to a, to a vessel that uh, turns out it was just some people out shooting off fireworks and flare used, unused, <clears throat> expired flares out there. And, you know, wasted three hours of a 600-foot ship's time. It was an expensive little proposition. On the other hand, um, you don't want to be shooting off a flare for the first time when you really, really need one, though, do you? Oh, absolutely not. It's good to practice everything, on yeah. the other hand, but there's times and places, I would suppose. Exactly. Yeah, and there's more than a couple of, uh, like I say, I've, I've uh, been privy to uh, buckets and buckets of used flares over the years. Uh, oh, yeah. We set know. them off at Fourth of July inland, and... Uh, there are a significant number of the old ones that don't work, so it's a very good idea to make sure they are up to date. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, you pass, uh, I'm assuming people uh, generally pass. Uh, sometimes, I guess, maybe they don't. 
it's, it's amazing the things that uh, very simple things that people would not pass well, an inspection for. How much trouble and what kind do you find? One thing that has been a big problem is the numbering and lettering on a boat. Which is a documentation number for uh, non-boat building people. Uh, a documented vessel has to have the number permanently affixed to the right. to the boat. You can carve it on a board, and the board has to be permanently affixed, or right. it has to be carved into some part of the boat but somewhere. these are the regular state-issued numbers when you register your boat with the state. The sticker. Um, the three-inch-high numbers, three numbers on your bow. The three-inch-high numbers on your bow, and they ha- there, has to, there are prefix letters... And then there are the numbers, and then there are suffix letters. You must have a space in between the letters and the numbers, at least the size of a letter N. Oh, good Lord. Now and we're fussing, aren't we? No, yeah. it's, it's if you it's look. It's about visibility and readability. If you look in the Coast Guard regulations, if you look in the main state regulations, boating regulations, on one of the first pages, you will see exactly what it's supposed to look like. The problem is when the state issues the numbers to the, the voter, they come through with no spaces in them. Sure. So they're, they're, you know, something has to be done to fix that problem so that people know exactly how to put the numbers on. Because if the Coast Guard would pick you up for that kind of an infraction, and they can, you would get a $60 fine for that. Kind of like having a headlight out Yes, going up the yes. Marine Highway. Tell us about some other good trouble. Uh, fire extinguishers. Yeah. Fire extinguishers, the, the, the material that's in them is like a powder, mm. and it gets compacted from, from the pounding of, of the boat hitting waves and everything. And many times the fire extinguishers, when we inspect them, are not any good because all that powder has compacted. So we bring a rubber mallet with us, or you hit it on a, a pier, you know, on a, a piece of wood or something like that, and you can usually free it up. But boaters can save themselves a lot of trouble if there's ever an emergency and the fire extinguisher doesn't work. They can save trouble by checking them periodically, and they say that the best way to mount your fire extinguisher is horizontally on the boat. If Kathy, you have the I'm learning things here this <laughs> morning. That makes sense. Well, we learned a lot when we went for the vessel safety check, yeah. you know, instructor's course. Kathy Mathbeth, she's from the uh, <laughs> Power and Sail Squadron, along with Rob here. Uh, you can give us a call anytime. one 925 is the number. People, um, a lot of people listen to this show and yes. say that they're really not that don't have a boat and don't really know that much about boating, but Mm -hmm. if they were interested in learning more about boating or perhaps getting on the water, Mm -hmm. you're going to teach some introductory courses. Yes, we have a a public boating safety course. It's called the Squadron Boating Course, and we're going to have it available in three locations in March, starting the last week in March. On March 26th, which is a Monday, I'll be teaching the course in Ellsworth at Ellsworth High School from 6 to 8. And the phone number there to register is 667-6499. You register through the Ellsworth Adult Education. Do you know what days it's going to be? It's Mondays. Mondays. And then Tuesdays, Rob will be teaching down in Searsport at Searsport High School from 6 to 8. And I have the number there. Let me just read it. It's 548-2328. I think you can only call that number Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. That's when people are in that office. But that's going to be on Tuesdays, and the course runs for seven weeks, six weeks of instruction, and the final week is an exam, and we have a little graduation celebration. Mm -hmm. And the third location for a public boating course is in Bangor at Bangor High School, 
with Dr. Wes Hedlund teaching that. And that's um, on Wednesday nights, starting on March 28th from 7 to 9. What uh, materials do you use to teach the course? I'm guessing the Chapman's piloting book? Well, we have a squadron boating book. And Chapman certainly is a reference. It's a very comprehensive yeah, reference. It's, it's the, the boater's Bible, Bible right? Yeah. But um, the course covers both sail and powerboat operation, and our instructors are all trained, and they focus on boat handling, safety, seamanship, equipment required by the U.S. Coast Guard for safe operation, federal regulations. We go into Little Moreland Spike with some lines and knots. We talk about boat trailering, operations of PWCs, and there's much more. We do some piloting with distance, speed, and time formulas and things. I guess I we wish should, should say that PWCs are personal watercraft or yeah, jet skis. Right. A little sea and there, uh, there are new regulations. As of January 1st, there's a new state law in Maine that um, no one under 16 may operate a PWC. Have you ever tried one? A jet no. ski? No, I haven't. You're up, Rob? I have years ago. I'm getting a little old for that. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Alan? Hurts no, I never down. have. I never have either, but uh, they are, uh, you know, they annoy a lot of people, but take a look at one sometime. That is a cool little boat. I mean, look at the size of the hull there. It's not much at all. It's jet-powered. Um, it's They are really, really cool little boats, and in a way, they're too much fun, and that's part of their problem. And they can be very dangerous if yeah. people don't know how to operate them. And when people are using PWCs, they have to understand that the same rules for a 50-foot boat apply to them. It's a power boat, yeah. and they have exactly the same regulations. Uh-huh. Now, getting back to that. Did new, anybody ever tell that teenager before he got <laughs> on the thing? Getting back to that new law, the um, youngsters between 16 and 18 must be accompanied either by an adult, or someone over 18, or have taken a public boating safety course which is where Power Squadron can come into play because our course is approved by state and federal regulators that uh, we can cover that. And you get uh, the familiar Power Squadron sticker for your uh, window there. Yes, you get that. Another subject uh, we talk about on Boat Talk fairly regularly is, um, and I, I wish I had the quote with me, somebody called and supplied it last month or the month before from Mark Twain, about how uh, experience comes from uh, good experiences come from having bad experiences previously and learning from them. You got to learn. So sure. by taking a course, that's a way to learn. Um, you can still be learning after a lifetime on your boat. And we have here, for instance, Points East Magazine. They have flotillas every summer, mm-hmm. and those are confidence builders in in a way. As much as a social occasion, a lot of people don't dare to go places in their boats or are intimidated by their boats as they're learning. And uh, it is. Is it not important to bring people along? It's a great program for us. Uh, we usually have three uh, rendezvous a summer, and, and this year we're going to actually start doing flotillas also. Uh, but, you know, my first experience, I didn't go for the first year or so because I was – um, you know, intimidated about going offshore or, you know, I was a lake boater growing up and, you know, sailing with Maine Maritime was on a big ship. So, a, you know, 30-foot boat on the ocean was, you know, a little bit challenging. And then um, I also was concerned about, you know, other boaters uh, that were more knowledgeable being, um, you know, condescending. And it's just not been the case. We've had 
you know, it's it's actually exactly what you said, that it's a confidence, confidence builder as well as a, a tremendous way to learn from other people. I mean, everybody's got something to bring to the to the program. And everybody's got their edge of the of the of the world they're afraid to sail off of in some ways, you know. Yeah. Uh, some people they think the reverse and rapids uh, rapids down the St. John River. Oh, I can never get through that. Um, other people, I, I read of a guy one one time who uh, he finally got to the coast of Maine, but he just couldn't get east of Casco Passage. He didn't dare Casco Passage. Now, to me, Casco Passage is a great thing because it's got a lot of rocks in it, and every rock's got a buoy on it. Yeah. There's a lot of buoys. That's a good thing. There's a lot of clues, you know. The and marking system's a little funky out there. With the, uh, it's hard telling whether you're, you know, you're used the, to the red right returning and, yeah. and going towards Bar Harbor. It's on. It's the greens on the right, so it's a, uh, it's a little difficult to. And like to I said, out. there there are things to pay attention to, but again, uh, Casco Passage, strictly yeah. speaking, no more intimidating than a, a number of other places. But there he was. He'd drawn his line, and finally he got through there in a in company. And opened up a whole world for them, and, yeah. and that, uh, you that, know, that's the kind of thing that we can help people with in in these boating courses. Is you know, and you hit right on the head. You use your chart when you don't, you know, really understand the marking system, and and uh, a lot of the the focus of our class is on how to utilize the chart right. in your in your mariner's compass. Okay. And so we have we have a phone call. Let's go to that, and then we'll get back to more power squadron things. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Morning, Alan. This is Howard calling. How are you? Hi, Howard. I've got a me- uh, question for Kathy, and I was wondering if she could backtrack a bit. I can sure. uh, give you the questions that I have. They're sort of multiple, and it deals with documentation as uh, uh, how it compares to the state registration that you had mentioned, where with the st- state registration you have to put your um, uh, state letters and numbers on the bow in such and such a size. Now, um, with a document, what are the benefits? I guess is the first question of having a documented vessel and keeping it documented. Uh, usually, the the boats over twenty six feet are are they Rob uh, are documented. I, I'm not entirely sure what the minimum length is. I think it's five thousand pounds uh, or five tons. I'm sorry, five um, tons. But it it the, the the real benefit of the of having a documented vessel is if you go out of the United States. Um, you, you know, in, in Maine, you still have to pay the tax. If imagine that, um, and get the the registration sticker. You don't have to display the state registration numbers on the vessel, uh, but you do have to to pay the tax. And that's true. Uh, you know, where your primary residence is, generally speaking, throughout the United States. Uh, that it, it, what it would do is it would allow you to take your uh, vessel out of the country. It's 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 really a um, a, a very strong proof of ownership of your vessel, and if you're, you know, if you if you sell it or if it's a higher end vessel, uh, that's that's often a very desirable thing is to have you know proof of ownership. Okay, in the course of a sale, the documentation I don't believe is transferable, and is it a a one time fee of about five hundred dollars or something like that to uh, uh, redocument? Uh, I, that's my understanding. Yes, uh, my vessel isn't documented, and, and our. Our real involvement with documentation is just making sure that it it meets, uh, you know, uh, the Coast Guard letter as far as uh, is what's on the vessel and, and the markings on it. Uh, we have a number of members that are that are, uh, uh, I'm sorry, do in fact have their vessels documented and um, and have spent quite a bit of time with that, doing that. And my understanding is that that you're correct that it is not transferable, but there's uh, organizations like. Um, uh, Boat U.S. 
that uh, will will assist in in that process. I think it's somewhat cumbersome, uh, also. Well, that's good. You've answered my following two questions with that uh, very concise first answer of yours. The second, which was uh, with a documented vessel, the uh, state registration numbers do not have to be applied to the bow. We've just uh, recently purchased a boat down in Florida, which is documented, does not have the uh, state um, uh, numbers on the bow, but does have the registration uh, sticker on the mast, the uh, uh, yearly registration sticker. And then I wanted to follow up to see about... uh, uh, documentation, you say basically through Boats U.S.? No, the government is how you do the... The, the government is actually the one that, that does it, but uh, Co- Coast uh, Boats U.S. Uh, we'll point you in that direction. Will, yeah, they have a, uh, their website has a, uh, uh, a, a link to, uh, to the process that helps do that. You can also get uh, your um, uh, MMSI number uh, for your DSC radio through them. And register them. We're soon going to be taking on that role, but I don't foresee in the future that uh, we'll be involved in in uh, documentation directly. Not that many recreational boats, uh, at least um, you know the smaller size boats, are involved in that. And with with the documentation, what um, you just have to have your number, your name of the boat in bold letters on the yes. transom. Uh, you have to make sure that that's not obscured in any way, that yep. you don't carry a dinghy or something that covers up those na- the, the name of the boat. Mm-hmm. Off the transit. That does happen. Yep, and yeah. then it's also uh, uh, very visible on the bow. As yes. Well. Now, you just mentioned a DSCI radio. Now, is that the same as a VHF radio where you have that registered? That's correct. You you need an identification number uh, that's programmed into your DSC radio, your your VHF radio. Uh, all the newer models uh, have have a, uh, a DSC feature, d- digital selective calling, is what. Okay, DSC. that's what that is. I, okay. yeah. I'd, I'd read about that. Yeah. Yeah, and then you will also need. Uh, they're they're actually pretty cool. Uh, there's a couple of features that if you register the uh, radio. Through the um, through Bo US or another organization or directly with the government, uh, you actually are given a, a number that you program into your radio, and th- through this radio you can uh, when when you for example press the uh, button that that is there's a button on the radios that uh, is for distress it will uh, it will and if it's hooked into your GPS system it will actually uh, not only radio. Yeah, radio the Coast Guard uh, or send a distress signal, I should say, uh, to to any digital selective radio, uh, as well as uh, as your position if it's logged in. And if you have the the identification number, your you know your name, your vessel name, the description, the uh, you know contact information is all on record, and and it's uh, just you know really facilitates the uh, search and rescue effort. If you're interested in this topic, um, we're offering a seminar in May at Ellsworth High School. It's called VHF and VHF slash DSC Marine Radio, and it'll cover, it's a two-hour seminar, and it will cover some of these topics. Great. Howard, what kind of boat did you adopt now? Oh, she's a boat. <laughs> she, uh, people have to come back at me and say, Howard, she's really not that fat and ugly, but she is. Um uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's our future, and it's an older um, Golf Star, seventy-one foot motor sailor. And, uh, very fortunate. 
Uh, no, excuse me, it's 1971. Okay. 36 foot motor cellar. No, I get excited when I'm on the radio on the phone with you guys. 71 a year. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but uh, very fortunate, and a couple have lived on it for the last 20 years. And uh, he was 64, and our paths crossed, and uh, they had uh, been tweaking it and outfitting it and updating it for uh, 20 years. She's ours now. So. And without putting too fine a point on it, Howard, you've, uh, um, how should we say, um, convinced the wife that the dream you've always had is, is her dream, too? And uh, We're working on that. It's a dream that I had 25 <laughs> years ago. I just forgot about it for a quarter century. Now I'm waking up again, and uh, we're there. We were on it uh, a week or so ago. She loves it. It's absolutely spacious. Um, it's got more components and things on it than I have. It's so many systems. It's a vessel. It's, it's, it's much more than I'd... Uh, ever dealt with in the past so it's uh and then then we'll get into the single sideband radio and how that uh, uh what are the benefits that would have been one follow-up questions i would have, question i would have had is the benefits of single sideband radio on that uh, mm-hmm. as well we actually uh have a, a whole series of courses that that the power squadron teaches locally here uh we have also a squadron out of uh out of rockland uh, the mid-coast squadron but after you've completed the the basic boating which is sort of the minimum requirement to uh, to be part of the power squadron. The member courses go on to uh, a seamanship course in boat handling, and then it proceeds down the, the piloting and navigating line, goes into uh, uh, actually piloting, advanced piloting, and junior navigating, which is celestial nav, and then the navigator program. And, and there's sort of a, a grade uh, process that goes with that. Uh, but we also have a series of elective courses, including engine maintenance and marine electronics, uh, that are just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the, the well, it, it sounds great, but true to my lifestyle, I have enrolled and started with a couple of the Power Squadron courses, one in Rockport maybe oh, six or so years ago, one in Belfast uh, oh, maybe eight or so years ago, and I think there might have been another one down the line, and I never seem to complete them. Uh, I, I think the courses are great, and I do keep the uh, Power Square, uh, Squadron manual, you know, with our boat right, right alongside of Chapman's and everything when we're out on the boat. So uh, um, I would like to continue through and see if we can uh, follow up. and uh, Come back and finish up. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> yes. We have another caller, Howard. So Thank, you right Thank you, Howard. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, thanks for waiting. Sounds like our friend Mike from down to Stonington. Yeah. That's another good. usual suspect. It's a good thing, man. Well, I wanted to uh, um, I wanted to add a little bit to the documentation thing. I um, uh, firstly, you, you don't have to pay your state registration um, or display the numbers or the ugly sticker if you're documented. You do have to pay your excise tax, and um, <clears throat> which is due whether you have a registered or or documented vessel. Um, you do also have to. The letters, the name of your boat has to be displayed clearly, as was mentioned, and it has to be of a mandated size, along with a hailing port. And um, you, the the whole procedure actually for documenting vessels has been made much easier, as far as I can see. Um, one of my boats, my Alden Cutter, was built in 1932 and was originally documented. And when I bought it, the documentation, which was in 83, the documentation had lapsed. And um, at, at that particular point in time, in order to renew the documentation, the federal law required you to dig up every owner that had owned the boat 
subsequent to the lapse in documentation oh dear. and verify that they had indeed owned the boat and sign off on a paper. And um, this actually um, turned out to be impossible for me because one of, one of the owners had died. Um, so, but later on, the law was changed. And now, in fact, there's really a very simple and inexpensive process. You can go to one of these firms that specialize in marine documentation. And uh, for a nominal fee, basically, even if you've got a boat that never was documented, you just have a registered boat and want to get it documented. I think as long as it was built in this country um, and is of a certain size, <clears throat> they'll just, there's an you know, infrastructure in place just to document your boat. Um, in theory, something you didn't mention, although I don't think there's much chance of it anymore, but you probably realize that the federal government has the right to take your boat at any particular time um, if it's documented and use it in times of national emergency. There were many, many, many boats in, in, uh, in World War II that were taken. I, example, um, yeah. I, I, I did a lot of sailing on a 50-foot Alden uh, gaff schooner, and... Um, one time years ago, we were on the wharf in Mattapoisett, down in Massachusetts, painting the boat up for a, for a trip. And uh, a fellow came up and, and said, well, I'll be damned. can't believe she's still around. And so it turned out, as he said to me, well, he said, in World War II, I was on this boat for a long period of time, and she was all painted gray, had the main cabin, uh, the, the aft cabin full of, of uh, sophisticated electronic equipment, and we steamed around in big squares out in the ocean, praying to God we never saw a submarine. <laughs> and that was, that was the, the boat's job. And uh, fortunately, she survived, and, and uh, the owner got her back. Um, but, but really, the documentation process, uh, is, it really is pretty simple these days, and uh, there are professionals out there who can take care of the whole thing. And it's free. They send you a paper every year with everything filled in, and all you do is sign your name to it, stick it back in the mail, and they send you your new document every year. And uh, used to be used to get a sticker that you kept sticking on the back of the original document, but they send you a brand new one every year now. So, um, so yeah, I documented, I redocumented my boat, and, and uh, I found it was a piece of cake. No disadvantages, really. And you don't have to have the ugly uh, sticker and... And letters on the bow. The number here this morning, we still got about 10 minutes left in Boat Talk, 1-866-625-9378. I uh, laughed a little while ago about the visible hail on the transom. Now, you see a lot of power boats. Nowadays, the, uh, the back porch is all in fashion in boats. Uh, a sugar scoop transom on a sailboat or a big uh, swim platform on the back of a big power boat. It's unavoidable. People are going to want to put their dinghies on, on the back porch, you know. And what you see typically nowadays is a Zodiac hauled up on its side. So you're looking at the bottom, the greasy, grassy bottom. And then what they'll do is they'll put the name of the boat on the bottom of the Zodiac sideways. And if that ain't just the ugliest thing out on the water. But it, it works, you know. I guess there's no excuse for that. Uh, Michael, what's glamorous or exciting down in your shop this winter? Anything? I think think we've lost michael yeah we're getting another phone call but while we're waiting for that we can go back to your courses that you're teaching uh, they're all classroom right all no, classroom two hours no on the water courses no on the water courses um, um, can but, people after you've taken these courses are, are there some other uh, on the water courses that are offered by the squadron we don't currently have any on the water courses mm -hmm. we 
there's a, a, a movement towards doing that yes. as part of the uh, – Kathy's going to talk a little bit if we have time about the uh, voter certification program that's being implemented. Okay. And part of that program longer term is going to be ship's handling mm-hmm. actually okay. on the water. Right. We have another phone call, though, so let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi there, you guys. How you doing? Good morning. Who are we speaking with? Uh, my name is Joe. I'm from Rockland. Morning, Joe. What's up? I just uh, I got a topic for you guys to I've never heard you cover it before, but it's a pretty important one, and maybe not today because we don't have a whole lot of time left. But for another show, how's about a topic of electrolysis? Oh, all it voodoo. Takes, <laughs> all it takes is you know uh, a bilge full of salt, salt water and a couple of. Uh, not so bolts that fell in, into the salt water and a little bit of current. You've got a car battery down there. Everything yeah. in the ocean is essentially a battery when you get right down to it. It's a great subject. And when I say voodoo, it's because it's um, there's some voodoo to it. There are rules of electrolysis, and then there's things that just happen, uh, you know, anyway. And, uh, yeah, it's a great subject, uh, especially if Giffy Full was here. Giffy oh, yeah. is big on uh, electrolysis damage in wood. We do some bonding there. No, oh, we've done it again. <laughs> Another pun. Uh, I, was, I worked on research vessels for a long time, and we had to replace 23 feet of a 110-foot hull. And this was right after being out on Flight 800 with all the pingers and all that was no. involved. Mm. And all it took was one mis- misguided wire. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. I surveyed an old wooden powerboat uh, years ago, and everything on the boat was bonded, and by that... There are some uh, copper strips that run along the hull, and they are screwed to, uh, you know, important objects like uh, uh, seacocks and stuff like that. Metal objects are are, uh, put in a loop and bonded to this copper strap, which is then uh, led to a a ground on the keel, for instance. So I'm looking at this powerboat, and the uh, blocks that that the toilet is sitting on are totally rotted by electrolysis. And what happens is... If you stick a battery charge into a piece of wood, a piece of wood um, has starch in it, so to speak, the lignin in between the, the uh, cells. The cell wall. The cell walls, yeah. That's what gives the wood its starch. If you've got a rotten piece of wood, the lignin is just not there anymore. And you can do that with a small electric current. So here we've got this powerboat. I tell the guy, I wouldn't sit on this toilet offshore. I think it's going to go through the bottom of the boat. I mean, look at this. And the guy says, well, okay, we can replace that. I said, I think you ought to, ought to uh, unbond the boat. He's, oh, we could never do that. Why would you say that? Well, look what it's done. There's different schools in that. Yeah, you? and there's a great... Uh, That's a topic for another subject. Oh, there's we, a lot of controversy in that area. We have three phone calls back. And it's okay. voodoo once again, so... Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Joe. We've got to move along. we got, oh, boy, only a couple minutes here. Yeah. Let's see if we can ram them through. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, guys. I love your show, even though I sit on the dock rather than sail in the bay. Ah, you still uh, have sense. Just come back to the beginning and my friend Fred in Tenants Harbor. My daughter and I were having lunch on a dock down in Tenants Harbor, oh, maybe four or five years ago, and they were unloading... Uh, sea urchins in great crates in great numbers. And my daughter, who is much more knowledgeable about cycles in the sea than I am, referred to the cycle of seals and kelp and seal urchins. And that might be a subject that you'd like to talk about another time. But when one 
goes down because the other has eaten um, its vegetation or um, the sea urchin, what have you, then the whole aquaculture cycle goes down. And, I, and I'm just throwing that into the mix because I just love your program. <laughs> it's all connected, isn't it? Um, yes. You know, uh, at different times, uh, the urchin population has gone up and down. So has the kelp population on, on the uh, coast of Maine, let alone the seals, who some people think are cute. And a lot of people, uh, especially fishermen, just cannot stand because uh, they compete with them. Oh, yeah. So anyway, no. Uh, well, they seem to be connected. Yeah, well, there's no doubt sure. about it. Okay. Um, and again, urchins are down at the present time, and we thank you for your call this morning. Let's see who else is there before we uh, run out of boat talk this morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Well, it's me again. Uh, hi, Mike. <laughs> Pushed the wrong button with my ear while I was drawing a line on a piece of locust here, and I ended in my, my uh, participation. Anyway, um, quickly, because you don't have much time left, I guess, um, what's happening down here in Stonington is I'm dealing with the the ramifications of a lovely little wooden boat that was built without any bedding compound under anything. Oh, dear. Mm. It's about six years old, and, and uh, so I'm trying to take things apart before it gets any more rotten than it is right now. But um, anyway, I think um, that guy's... What, the reason I called back, really, was I think the, the suggestion made by your previous caller was absolutely splendid. Um, electrolysis is one of my absolute favorite subjects, um, and uh, the application of zinc is one of my absolute pet peeves, and I think it's one of the most misunderstood and uh, poorly dealt with issues, especially amongst the wooden boats, um, that, that there is. It, it really is a, it's a matter of huge, huge contention and uh, diversity of thought. And uh, actually, a, a lot of the blame for a lot of the bad things that have gone on are, are, are to be allocated at the doorstep of certain famous design firms like Sparkman and Stevens, for instance, hmm. and, um, and yeah, it's, uh, uh, the, the definitive articles on, on uh, for anybody interested, uh, Wooden Boat Magazine really, I think, printed the, the definitive articles on this subject about 15 years ago, and they were written by Ed McClave, a two-part article, um, Ed McClave of McClave, Philbrick and yeah. Giblin, or MP&G as we like to call them. And uh, they really are outstanding contributions to this. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, we will add it to the discussion. Stuff. Michael, we're out, we're out of time this yes, morning. Yes, you are. We are in the corner. We didn't get through everything Kathy and Rob brought. Uh, we didn't get through everything on our list here. And we haven't even talked about the Boat Talk dinghies yet. No, no. And after I tell there you, you that uh, Farrell Rupert from Deer Isle is a first-time new member, somehow uh, called and, and uh, was inspired to do that around Boat Talk, by Boat Talk, who knows. Okay. Appreciate that, Farrell. We should uh, let the at least folks give contact information for the Power yeah. Squadron, too. Our Power Squadron website is www.pbsps.org or the um, Power Squadron uh, national website is www.pbsps.org usps.org and you can find information about our public courses and our seminars that are coming up in May and we hope that we'll see you there. Now speaking of the web quickly on the way out uh, we have an idea for some boat talk dinghies. A dinghy is a boat talk 
et. It's a five to 15 minute feature. And uh, what we want to do, we already have a couple of these made. We want to share these with anybody with a marine website. We'll give them to them. And uh, we want to create some interest. And we will be posting the first ones on the Boat Talk website and on the WERU website. Check them out. Gulf of Maine Salvage and Windjammer Cooking. We already have in the, in the, uh, in the already completed. And, uh, you know, Boat Talk dinghies are a new thing that is coming. So there, stay tuned. Yes, that's it. Got it out. Stay tuned for Jim Pahoosh and On the Wing coming up next here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Thank you, Rob and Kathy. Went awful quickly. Uh, once again, Boat Talk, second Tuesday of the month. Next uh, Tuesday is the third Tuesday. That is uh, Indigenous Voices. We'll be featured then. Stay tuned. Thank you. This is Community Radio, 